It is 8.30. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Na'ahmaduhu nasalli ala rasulahi al-kareem amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet. May peace be upon him. Uh, if you can hear me, please nod in some capacity. Anybody? Almost none of you are showing your face, so I can't even uh, tell. Okay, yeah, Muslav, you can hear me. Okay, very good. Thank you, Dr. Mahan. Okay, so, <clears throat> so continuing uh, where we left off, uh, we are looking at the story of origins, and we're moving from the announcement over to the um, the prostration. So let's look very briefly at the ayah itself. So, um, <clears throat> so I am having some trouble at my end. Can you see the the ayahs on the screen? Again, someone give me a nod or a yes or something. Yes. Okay. Very good. Okay. So. <clears throat> So here, Ayah 34, Allah Ta'ala is saying that he said to, uh, oops, sorry, not 34, that's not 34, as is commonly the case. Hold on, hold on, technical difficulties at my end. Okay, so Ayah 34. So Ayah 34 is the event of the Sajda, and Allah Ta'ala said, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا We said, لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ uh, So we said to the angels, أُسْجُدُوا Do Sajda لِآدْمَ To Adam, and then they did Sajda, but not Iblis. He refused and was stuck, but he became arrogant, or he hid behind arrogance. وَكَانَ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ And then he became among those who reject faith. Okay, so the event of the Sajda is, is interesting in part because of, of the latter stuff, which is kind of, Abu Rahma, I don't understand your question. As in, he was, yes, kana, kana yakunu kaunan. Yeah. So, uh, so the first part, uh, the angels are prostrating. Uh, why did the angels prostrate? Easy question. What Allah said to prostrate. Why did the angels prostrate? Easy question. Anyone give us an answer. Yeah, essentially, they don't have free will. They don't have a choice. Again, they, and Allah said so, yes. And so what did we say about angels? Angels... Uh, have the ability to question God. They have the they have self consciousness. They have identity, but fundamentally they're not able to uh, disobey Allah in the way you and I, uh, from our feet just from jumping, are not able to uh, avoid or to contradict gravity, right? I mean, of course, I can get on an airplane or something, but the point being that. Angels do not have the ability to disobey God any more than you and I have the ability to, to violate gravity. Of course, maybe one of you has the ability to fly who's not sharing it 
the rest of us, but aside from that person. Okay, <clears throat> and then we have the second part. Uh, uh, they all prostrated except for Iblis. If you read this ayah on its own, it looks like Iblis is an angel. Uh, but that is not necessarily the case. It would be like saying the teacher told everyone to stand up and everyone stood up, but not the donkey. Yeah. Or the teacher told all this, let me, make it, uh, let me make it more clear. The teacher told all the students to stand up and all the students stood up, but not the donkey. Yeah. So we can assume that the donkey heard the command. Now, when we look at other parts to the story, as found elsewhere in the Quran, we have some other interesting things. And sorry, people keep jumping into the class. Let me just let everybody in. Okay. So this you already know. Okay, that um, the first part is the announcement, the second part of the story is the prostration, the third one is the concluding, is the tree and the concluding remarks from Allah. Um, and so getting into the pieces of the story with uh, Iblis. And again, if I'm going too fast, just let me know. So, <clears throat> then the angels prostrated. refused. Okay. Now in other parts of the Quran, Allah asks at least why. So Allah Ta'ala says to Iblis, and I'm paraphrasing, when I gave the command, why did you not prostrate? Now, there's going to be those people who are going to answer who aren't going to listen to the question and those people who are going to listen to the question. When Iblis uh, uh, responds, what should he have said? Allah Ta'ala commands the angels to prostrate. Iblis refuses to prostrate. Alas, and why? What should Iblis have said? Or what could he have said? Yes, he could have said, I'm not an angel. He could have said, you told the angels. He could have said, I wasn't commanded to. Because yeah. Iblis, remember, Iblis is a jinn, not, a, not an angel. Okay. He could have possibly said, I only prostrate to you, Allah. 
I'm not going to prostrate to Adam. And then again, and of course, those of you who know the story, what did Iblis say? Yeah, I am better than him. And part of it was you created me from fire, you created him from clay. from clay. Okay. <clears throat> so let's pause for a second here. Uh, uh, if the command is for angels, then why is Iblis hearing at least the command? And there's a couple understandings of this. And what seems to be a repeated pattern is that Iblis had such a level of piety that he was often in the company of angels. He had that much piety. It is also said of him that there is not a spot on the earth, or we might extend it to the world, there is not a spot in the world in which he did not do sajda to Allah. So every place where you are each, where I'm sitting, it is said that Iblis has done sajda to Allah there. He's prostrated to Allah there. And then I believe it was yesterday, we were talking about the title Hakim that he was given after he established peace among these warring tribes of jinns. Okay, this is all backstory outside of the Quran. And so one understanding is that he is hearing the command because he's in the company of angels and he has access to what is being sent down to them. Another understanding is because he's so pious, the command is also on him. But whether the command was on him or not, he refused. If you commanded me to do it, you know, Ya Allah, I'm not going to do it. Even if you didn't command me to do it, I'm not going to do it. He's refusing. And then what is happening <clears throat> and then what he does is he hid behind arrogance. So, so uh, Sarah, we're going to get to your question in just a moment, inshallah. Okay, so he hid behind arrogance. So he refused, he hid behind arrogance. So let's take a step back now and discuss arrogance, kibr. So here, aba was takbara. So define for us, what is arrogance? You know, what does it mean to, uh, for someone to be arrogant? So if you're thinking to yourself, man, Muzaffar is arrogant. What is that? What is that? Uh, what does Muzaffar do aside from speaking about himself in the third person? Superiority complex. Yeah, he thinks he's better than everyone else. Egotistic. 
or we might call it egotastic, fantastic, conceited, believes he's superior, all of these things. Being, being Trump. <laughs> all right. So narcissist, good word, which I were as you know, I use that for about everything. Oh, out of touch. Interesting. I think a lot of you're just talking about me, whether or not I'm arrogant. It thinks less of others. That's part of it. Remember when we're looking at the attributes of hypocrisy. That in the list we had four attributes. This is Ayas 8 through 16. One was that they they continue to lie. The second one was that they deflect criticism. And the third one was that they were arrogant and they devalue the community. And the fourth one was that they're two-faced, but they're arrogant and they devalue the community. Now here's a here's uh he's superior, but the point is that he should do it. Oh, like, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Basir. That applies to every single man in history. Okay. So here's another point to think about. Why do people get arrogant? So if Muzaffar thinks he's better than all of you, why would he be arrogant? What makes a person become arrogant? What do you all think? Usually it stems from insecurity. That arrogance is an overcompensation. Uh, we might use the language of an unmet need or something inside that they're hiding. And so what is often uh, that they believe they've earned something? Possibly, but they believe they've earned something and they believe they're not being compensated for it. And so again, same thing, something is missing. Yeah. Maybe because how they're treated by others, again, same thing. It's an insecurity. And so they're overcompensating by being extra tough, extra abrasive. And so <clears throat> what is often understood to be the real reason behind uh, Iblis's arrogance? Jealousy. Jealousy of Adam. Why did Allah pick this thing over me? So, and what's interesting is that if you look in the less authenticated narrations, so we have the authentic hadith, which are usually legal oriented, then things about creation are, we don't spend, we don't find as much effort uh, focused on authenticating them. There's these narrations about Adam, peace be upon him, literally being formed from clay. Yeah. Literal, metaphorical, you can choose. And Iblis is walking around looking at this thing, knowing that this thing is being picked by Allah to be the Khalifa, and he keeps trying to kick it. And he curses it. And this is similar when you look at the biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him, as the Prophet is receiving revelations. In the distance, you know, on a cliff, Iblis is sitting there, and he's trying to curse the Prophet. And the common understanding is that he's jealous. Why is Allah picking this low life, this lowly creation over me? And so he refused because of jealousy. And then to hide his jealousy, his insecurity, he became, he hid behind arrogance. And so think of arrogance as a shield that people are hiding behind. 
What is the shield that a person of taqwa is hiding behind? Well, it is itself taqwa, where you're shielding yourself with trust in Allah. Tawakkul. The person of taqwa is shielding themselves with the trust in Allah. And here, the hypocrite is shielding themselves with arrogance. So it's like you're taking a balloon to shield yourself from whatever life is going to hit you with. And it goes further. Let's look at, uh, hopefully my computer will stay okay. Let's go look at um, another ayah in Surah 2. And I believe it's ayah 83. Uh, it's 85. I gotta learn how to count. No, not 83. Um, let's see. You were witnessing. Ah, here, 87. 87. Okay. Yes, Mahan. Nice, Dr. Mahan. Excellent. Okay. So, first part of the ayah. We gave Musa, alayhi salam, the Torah, followed him up with messengers, and we gave Isa, son of Mary, clear proofs and supported him with the pure spirit. And then what? Is it not that every time a messenger came to you with what your souls did not desire? Okay. So here's the scenario. You're being given a truth that you do not want to face. You hid behind arrogance. Same word. Astakbartum. And there's a party of them, a party who denied, and then another party you killed. Here, we also have increasing levels of defense that people do who are defensive. And so, When faced with something you don't, when faced with the truth you don't want to face. Sorry, totally not. I'm losing all my ability to, to write. Faced with a truth. Do not want to face. Common response is to hide behind arrogance. If that is not enough for you to feel comfortable, then you accuse the truth of being a lie or the truth teller of being a lie. If that is not enough for you to feel comfortable, then you may resort to violence. And this sums up the response of the Quraysh to the Prophet, peace be upon him. First, they laughed him off, right? He invites them over for dinner and he tells them, you know, I'm coming with a, with a message more noble than anyone before me in, in our people and I'm a prophet of Allah, so from so on. And then young Ali, he embraces the message, and then all the elders, they laugh and they leave. Yeah. 
And then as he continued to preach, then they started with character assassination. And then when that wasn't enough, then they started torturing his followers. And so this is the power that truth has over people who do not want to face the truth and they recognize that it is truth. They didn't recognize that it was true, that there was truth there, then they probably wouldn't have cared. And so think of this as escalation. If my arrogance is not enough to make me feel secure, then I will start attacking the message and the messenger. If that's not enough, I will physically launch attacks. So going back to the accursed devil. He's responding to Allah with arrogance. So you don't talk to Allah that way, especially if you are one-on-one talking to him. So he gets banished. And, and so what does that mean? If you're being banished from the company of Allah, you're basically being sent to hell. And then he makes a request. Don't send me to hell now. Wait until the day of judgment. So he's basically an undergrad requesting an extension, which was granted. He makes a second request, a vow. And he says, can I scroll down? Um, I'm literally at the bottom of the screen. Uh, Sarah, what do you see or not see? Uh, and I'll keep writing and I'll wait here for you. He makes a vow. Can you, can you all see number eight at the bottom? Okay. okay. He makes a vow. He says to Allah, because you made this happen to me, I'm going to sit on the straight path and I'm going to take down, I'm going to ambush and take down your true believers. Now I'm saying all humans. He's not worried about all the ones that are off the straight path because they're already on his path. And that vow or that request is granted to try. And Allah Ta'ala says to him, you're not going to be able to take down the true believers. But he's welcome to try. So notice every request thus far has been granted. Uh, angels, uh, Omer angels, he would not be able to take down because those are, uh, they do not have the ability to be taken down. There's no such thing in our tradition as fallen angels. So here's a, here's a question. Let's go back to the prostration for a second. So 
Who are the angels prostrating to in this command? The form is that they're prostrating to Adam, peace be upon him. But who are they actually prostrating to? They're prostrating to Allah, right? Because the form is, okay, face Adam, but who's telling him to do that? Allah. Their actual prostrate, their physical prostration is to Adam, peace be upon him. But the actual consciousness in our language is spiritual prostration is actually to Allah. Just like if I am standing in front of the Kaaba and I'm gonna prostrate, I'm facing the Kaaba. But my prostration wholeheartedly is to Allah. It's never to the Kaaba. Although in this context, symbolically, with angels prostrating before Adam, uh, what does that symbolize? Or how can we infer from this the symbol? Yeah, the superiority of humans. Now, back to Sarah's question from earlier. Here's a point to think about. We said Iblis did sajda on every single spot of the world. The form was he's prostrating to Allah. But the question is, who is he really prostrating to? What do you all think? He was really prostrating, perhaps, to himself. The form, every prostration is to Allah, but <clears throat> is he actually prostrating to Allah all those times? Allah knows best. Because in the moment that an actual command of prostration was given, especially if it was a command on him, but even if not, that one, he's refusing. Okay, <clears throat> so far so good. Uh, how do we get to, uh, that humans are superior again? Isn't that the Iblis problem? So essentially, it is commonly understood that humans are superior because of superior intellect. In this context, you can change it. That humans, if we remove the idea of superiority, we're saying that humans have been given a very special responsibility that, for example, Iblis was not given. If he wasn't prostrating to himself, if he was prostrating himself, then wouldn't God know and not have in the company of the angels? Yeah, absolutely. I'm saying one theory is that he is in the company of the angels because of his piety. Okay. If that's the case, then it's probably fair to say that it is because of his prostrations to himself or that just because of the fact of sajda, he's still rising. So let me, let me, let me make this point from a different perspective. Suppose... Uh, it's time for me to pray, and I know I can't concentrate in my prayers. Yeah. And I know I'm going to be thinking of work, school, family, etc. Should I still make my prayer? What do y'all think? Yeah, definitely. Right? And even if I feel like my heart is not in a particular command of a law, the easiest example being prayer, should I still do it? Yes. Will I be rewarded for it? Inshallah, yes. You know, even if almost entirely, you know, I'm in prayer and I'm just thinking about everything I have to do in life. 
Yeah, I mean, we all know that experience. And so, inshallah, <coughs> I will still be rewarded for every word that I say in the prayer, every ruku, every sajda. That could also be the case with, with Iblis. Yeah. <coughs> all right. Uh, let's go, let's skim through some of these questions. So is the Islamic remedy for jealousy, arrogance. So one of the remedies <coughs> for arrogance is, is interesting. And so let's stop this share. Let's go to back to our surahs here. So you guys can see ayahs, yeah? You see ayahs on the screen? Okay. If we go to Surat Al-Isra, we have this passage about the people of the book when they're exposed to the Quran. And sorry for scrolling through. Hopefully it will not give you a headache. It's around I-106. Maybe 109. Ah, okay, yeah. All right, so to give you some backstory. <clears throat> okay, it is with the truth that we've sent down the Quran and with the truth that has descended. We have not sent you, Muhammad, except as a bringer of good news and a warning. And it is the Quran which we have separated so that you might recite it to the people over a prolonged period. And we have sent it down progressively and say, believe in it or do not believe. Indeed, those who were given knowledge before it, when it is recited to them, they fall on their faces in prostration. And then they make this dua. Subhana Rabbana. Exalted is our Lord. Indeed, the promise of our Lord has been fulfilled. And they fall on their faces. So they fall on their faces crying. And it increases them in Khushu'a. And what is Khushu'a? Khushu'a is like a humble devotion. So what we're saying is a way to develop or to help heal arrogance. One part of it is to keep doing sajda. And the formula fits. He skipped a sajda. And then what happened? He started going down the path of arrogance. And so a way to steer yourself off of that path is by repeated prostration. And so if I'm someone who I know I need to make my prayers, but for whatever reason, I just don't have any motivation to, I know I'm supposed to do it. Uh, then often when they're coming to me with this, then if it's too hard for them to even stand up for prayer, even if you think about it, like one four cup prayer is about four minutes. <clears throat> Add wudu, it's about six minutes. And of course, if you're at workplace, it gets a little bit more complicated. So then I'll tell them, all right, wudu, no wudu, facing Makkah, not whatever you're wearing, at each of your prayer times, start prostrating. As a way to start pushing the arrogance out of our system. So that is one way to treat arrogance. All right, let's look at some of these, uh, um, or to dissolve arrogance is probably a better way to put it. Uh, some of these other questions. When Iblis says that he will misguide the believers, is he trying to make the point that he is worthy of the Khalifa? Uh, essentially, he's saying that Allah Ta'ala made the wrong choice. You did this, and I'm going to show you that you're wrong. 
uh, is simply doing the act of prayer, even if you're not fully engaged, will still increase piety, inshallah. There is an exception at the, in Surah Al-Ma'un, you know, almost at the end of the Quran. If you're praying so people see you in prayer, that's going to put you in worse shape. <clears throat> so if you're praying for the purposes of showing off, there's this funny, super uh, short Urdu cartoon on YouTube. If I can find it, I'll have to ask uh, one of the one of different set of students to find it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a cartoon where this guy is praying, and these two these two guys in the back are sitting in the back of the masjid watching him, <clears throat> and one is telling the other. You know, this one guy who's praying in front of us, and this all in Urdu, which makes it much funnier. You know, one time he was in sajda for so long, I called 911 because I thought he died. Yeah. But he was actually just prostrating that long. And the other person's like, subhanAllah. Right? And then uh, they're all impressed by how pious this guy is. And this guy's praying, and then he looks back and he says, I also fast. Yeah. And then he goes back into his prayer. And then these guys are like, subhanAllah. Right? And, and so if you're doing acts of piety for the purpose of people uh, to, to watch, then that's not a good thing. Hey, Sarah, if you can send us the Arabic one, that'll also be funny too. Okay, Hannah, what if uh, what about if you're trying to show your kids that you're praying? Okay, that's different. They're, they're your teaching. You know? Just like if I'm doing this right now, I'm in teacher mode. Yeah, that would not be the same. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you have to do it just so your kids see that you're praying. Anyway, that's still part of the, the teaching parenting process. Um, as Abu Hasna would ask, what is the subjective takeaway for, for self-improvement? So on this, <clears throat> the, uh, the, some of the short versions would be that, uh, when Allah Ta'ala gives a command, be humble and take it, uh, as he is commanding. Uh, uh, now I know what changed in your beard. It looks like mine and Dr. Nasser. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Malahat for your observation. That was about four days ago. So maybe if we multitask a little bit less than uh, we would have noticed these things. Okay, uh, what are those? When Iblis said he, yeah, okay. Uh, Musab, <coughs> it seems as if Iblis felt uh, threatened by Adam al Islam. Yeah, I'd say absolutely. Like Adam al Islam is the cool kid at school and he actually is earning it. And then Iblis is like, eh, okay. save that sound. Uh, so is Islamic remedy. Okay, we talked about that one. Other questions? How do we know we are prostrating to our wishes or to Allah? Wonderful question. If you're prostrating, if you're making your prayer just because Allah Ta'ala is saying to, then automatically it is, a, it is an act of submission to Allah. It is automatically an act of spirituality. So a common issue that comes up, especially about a week and a half or two weeks into Ramadan, is some students will say, okay, I'm not feeling anything. You know, I should be feeling something. And, and, and so there's different types of spirituality. Uh, and just because I like to draw things, so I don't expect I like this whiteboard feature as much as I do. Okay. So when we speak about spirituality in our community, or in our society, a common one is some sort of exhilaration. Exhilaration. Like I'm getting a feeling you know, an Iman rush because I attended this crash course. Okay. And usually that's shallow. Or it'll be intoxication. Just like we call alcohol spirits. 
because it gives you, it puts you into this altered state. Sometimes we get all academic and we use metaphysics. But what is spirituality in our tradition? It is, sorry, I gotta, this is that call that comes. It is clarity. To see reality for what it is. That is the essence of Islamic spirituality. Related to haqiqa. Haqiqa is what? It's reality. Clarity in seeing reality. So it's the opposite of exhilaration, the opposite of intoxication, and it's beyond rational. Now, there are things you can do in Dean that make you feel good. If you do an act of service to other people, uh, especially the more sincere it is, the more you'll feel either good for having done it or feel thankful for the opportunity to do it. And in terms of some of the Sufi schools, there will be intoxication and such, and of course, uh, metaphysics, it's a, it's a whole academic concept, but the essence of spirituality is clarity. Uh, so what is khushu? Khushu is a little bit different than this. Khushu is the humble devotion. And so, so the point being, <coughs> those people who are saying uh, that, you know, I'm fasting and everything and I feel like I'm not getting anything out of it, chances are they're also probably thinking very, very clearly. And that's even uh, partly the result of just physiological changes from fasting. Uh, Donna, that was Surah 17, Ayah 109. Okay, how did the companions feel when they were in the presence of the Prophet, peace be upon him? That's a very, very general question. It varies from companion to companion, but this is in the Shema'i literature. They often spoke of him as the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful person that they have ever seen in their lives. Uh, that people love to be in his company. His smile looked like light was coming out of it. Uh, all those things. I once met a convert who had initially thought the sajda was the combination of prostration and a mini push-up for physical training, going really close to the ground without touching without touching your head. Okay, that works. I mean, um, if you think of salah as a type of yoga, you know, okay, so you have modern yoga, which is just stretching. And there's a funny video uh, about that. Like Gandhi comes back to life and he joins this yoga class and starts cursing everybody out because they turn yoga into this, this um, Ikea type thing. But uh, so if you think of yoga as an act of spiritual exercise, uh, Salah is very, very similar to that. Or yoga is very similar to Salah. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, I mean, what level of spirituality? Uh, Musab, I need you to expand on the question that I'm not quite understanding. Uh, let's see. The Abada of Iblis didn't affect his heart, perhaps. More quantity, but no quality. It was perhaps the Abada, like the one we have where we are thinking about everything under the sun during the Maz, misguiding our tongue during the fast. Yeah, it seems like it. Meaning, it seemed that for all the prostrations that he did, it did not benefit him. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a scary part of, of acts of worship. And so the goal is to have continuous quality and quantity improvement. Uh, other questions, I'm scrolling up. Uh, Sammy asked a question, what about other jinn? Uh, I think you're asking in relationship to Iblis. So, uh, when we spoke about influences, we spoke about the devil and his minions. And 
And, and so the devil has many, many minions. And one example I think we gave yesterday was that the devil uh, assigns a qareen, this jinn who just stays with you your whole life. He's there with you right now uh, to just master you to figure out what temptations work. And then, as we said yesterday, then the companions asked, even you, Ya Rasulullah, peace be upon him. He said, even me, but mine became Muslim, as we would expect. Someone told me years ago that much of prayer, and especially circling the Kaaba, was based on pagan ritual. Is there truth in that? Or is that a lot, uh, or in that a lot of prayer is just exercise? So <clears throat> what's interesting is that if we look at the words for acts of worship, they seem to be coming from Aramaic. They don't follow the normal rules of Arabic grammar. Salah, Zakah, specifically. Yeah. If we look at many of the names in the Quran, they're coming from Hebrew, Jibril, Isa, Musa, so forth and so on. Again, they don't follow the rules of, of, of Arabic. So many of the parts of the Hajj were uh, modifications of the pagan Hajj. But it's also in our belief that, meaning the same sources that say that, say that the pagan Hajj was itself a modification of the Hajj of Ibrahim, peace be upon him. So our sources are saying the Hajj is a modification of the pagan Hajj. So for example, we go counterclockwise, they were going clockwise. They're going clockwise and we basically turned it to counterclockwise. So there's some changes made. And going between Safa and Marwa, there it's become like a quick, uh, a quick walk, although some of that was in response to criticism that the Muslims were a bunch of wimps, and so the Prophet made us sort of hustle back and forth. But those rituals were already there being done by the pagans, but why would they be doing them? They themselves also believe that the, that, uh, that the Kaaba was built by Ibrahim, peace be upon him, and Ismail, which is, again, our sources are saying all this. They also believe that the running between the two hills was commemorating Hajar, and so they are taking the pilgrimage of Ibrahim, which was a monotheist pilgrimage to Allah, made it an idol worshiping one, and the Prophet peace be upon turned it back. So it's like that that uh, that line at the beginning of that song, uh, "Desired by You Too." This is a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back, so it's sort of like that. Bad example. Okay. Um, in terms of Salah, uh, in our understanding, this is taught straight from. Jibreel to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And it seems hard to find that. I'm guessing prostration is a very universal act of devotion uh, across religions and secular uh, uh, traditions, pagan traditions, monarchy traditions. Um, but I think it's hard to just write it off as a pagan ritual. And again, regarding exercise, I mean, there's definitely physical benefits to the Salah. I have a, a friend of mine who went in for knee surgery, and then they asked him, are you Muslim, the, the, the physicians? And he said, yeah, why? He said, because when Muslims come in, they have this extra like growth of cartilage in their knees from all the prostration, and they saw that he had it, and which I thought was interesting. If we're trying to, trying to gain clarity to our prayers, what steps can we take when we want to decrease distractions when they arise? The shortest thing, the easiest answer I'll give to that is first and foremost, relax yourself as much as you possibly can even to the point that you make your intention, relax yourself. You know, I, to, for me to do that, I need to take a deep breath. And then, you know, Allahu Akbar Takbir Tahrima. And what is the symbol of this? You're throwing the earth behind you and you're saying for the next five minutes, I don't care about anything. 
and then get to position and then again put yourself in a period of, of mo uh, a moment of tranquility then start reciting when you're done with the reciting pause again allahu akbar and then go down to ruku and do that for every single step okay. and so with each allahu akbar what else are you doing you are recalibrating yourself so do that uh, as a way to start another way to 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 develop focus in your prayers is to focus not on your thinking but on your yearning so like you'll notice like when you're going through a very very deep struggle in life your prayers are super concentrated because your yearning is very very clear it's overriding your rational thought and so look for some things that you're yearning for and try to go deep within yourself maybe it's for the health of someone who is very very ill or maybe you're afraid of something and then pray with the focus of that yearning and that will often override the the distractions in your head uh, is it not allowed to close your eyes when you're praying? There is a narration that was told to me, taught to me, but I've never come across it. So take this with a semi-grain of salt, which is that if you pray with your prayers, you pray your prayers with your eyes closed, the maidens you will have in paradise will be blind. Okay. Which for some of us, if they look in the mirror, that's probably a good thing, but I shouldn't say that about paradise. But the point is, uh, if you need to close your eyes to concentrate, then do that for now, but make your intention to sooner or later start uh, opening your eyes. Even today, I had a moment where I was praying and I wanted to close my eyes, but I thought I'd go just keep them open. I have butter focus when my eyes are closed. Start there, and then with the intention over the course of your life that you'll be opening your eyes. Where is the eye of Iblis going to hell? I just remember the parts where uh, he is the enemy of man. Could the Quran be speaking in human terms how he is bad and as it is speaking to us, isn't the language of arrogance to a degree anthropomorphizing? Iblis, could he be both an enemy to man but still a good jinn? Don't want to be sacrilegious here. You're asking me, you're, you're saying, telling me you don't want to be sacrilegious. I'm the most, no. Okay, so so I think it's in Surat al-Ma'idah. Uh, we'd have to find the ayahs. Where in hell, people are taking a break. So imagine this, what a break is like in hell. They're like the ayahs that say when you need relief, you're going to get this, this water that's like molten metal that you're going to be drinking. And they walk up to Iblis, and they're upset with him. And then Iblis is saying to them, and I'm paraphrasing, look, I didn't make you any promises. You know I, didn't, I don't keep my promises. But that conversation is, is said that it's taking place in hell. So I think it's in Surah Ma'idah, but it's been, it's been a while. Uh, why is opening uh, why is opening one's eyes the goals uh, essentially the idea being that if you close your eyes you're taking a step away from presence when you're opening your eye, eyes while you're praying that's that's how i often understand it maybe iblis was never really a true believer and he was just exposed hence canna nice in the eye i pointed out earlier could his prostrations prior to refusal have been more for himself for the sake of uh sake of setting a record i believe wholeheartedly that's possible possible and could God have elevated him to the ranks of angels only to expose him? Yes, I think so. Definitely, it's a, poss it's a possible reading. Is that reading? Is that a reading you're familiar with? That I'm not familiar with, but I'm saying that it, that it fits. Uh, that he's basically letting him rise and rise and rise for that inevitable fall to happen for his sake. And so the point is that when someone is doing wrong and they're getting exposed, Part of it is for the people to see, it is the crook, but part of it for, is for that person to also be exposed. An example of that would be the guy with the two people with the gardens in Surah Al-Kahf, right? In Surah the cave uh, you have one guy who has this, this garden that is super lush, 
and and uh, and then uh, uh, you know he thinks the garden is never gonna uh, never go away, but then it all falls apart, and then he says I should return to Allah. And so sometimes Allah Taala will put us in humiliation uh, for us to then turn back to Him. That's a pretty bad situation you're in if you need to be publicly humiliated to return to Allah. So that could be the case, but even that was not enough for Iblis. Uh, I have fourteen twenty-two. Um, uh, we'll have to uh, look that up. Let me let me go through the questions more. Is it theoretically possible? Oh wait, let me. Um, there's a similar explanation that is given in the Quran for the rise and fall of civilizations. God opens for them all blessings. Yeah, that's a similar concept, uh, uh, Dr. Muhammad, in terms of what I was thinking of, just in the concept of the gardens. Uh, can you close your eyes during the du'a? I'm saying you can close your eyes during prayer, and can you close your eyes during du'a? Yes, inshallah. I don't know any any prohibition, or not prohibition, any discouragement on, on that at all. Uh, is it theoretically possible for Iblis to regret what he did and turn back to Allah, and would Allah accept his repentance? So there's a story whose source I don't know, because I don't think it's in the Hadith literature, where Musa alayhi salam is talking to Iblis, and he says, I can get you forgiveness from Allah. Do you want forgiveness? He says, yes, of course. He says, then all you need to do is go to the grave of Adam, peace be upon him, and prostrate. And Iblis says, yeah, I can't do that. So uh, whether or not there's any authenticity to that story, that is something that people have have, uh, explored. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Yesterday we said that it's hard for Jin to switch once they choose a path here. It seems like Iblis switched pretty quick. Yeah. and, and so related to Dr. Mahan's point, maybe he actually didn't switch. Maybe he just got outed. Uh, someone told me years ago that much of prayer. Okay, we talked about that. Any other questions uh, about anything else? Laith. Oh, and Sadia. Do jinns have a heart? It seems that, that some of the same language is used from a spiritual perspective, that jinns have a spiritual heart. Do they have four ventricles beating inside them? I don't even know if they have blood. So I don't know if they have a physical heart, but spiritual heart, it seems to be the case. Uh, or at least, so, fi sudur nas min al So sudur is referring to your heart, your chest. And then the waswasa of Iblis is in the hearts of jinn and humans. So, uh, perhaps. More reflection, but it seems as though Iblis did not have an issue with creed. He believes in Allah, yes. Uh, necessary existence, oneness. All right, there's a guy who takes, you know, Dr. Omer's academic uh, theology classes. Okay, would this be correct to say? Yes. By the time we get to the request, the vow, how can those be made assuming they have knowledge of Allah? That's the fascinating thing. Iblis is talking to Allah. Remember we gave the other example of opposite end of faith. Ibrahim is talking to Allah and still needs satisfaction of the heart that Allah can give life to the dead. Yeah. And that was a question that was posed. Okay, if you're already doing that, why do you need that? But yeah, that's part of the human experience. And Iblis, at the other end, you know, is talking to Allah. He's in conversation with Allah, and yet his behavior is like of the kafirs. Yeah. And that's the fascinating thing about about, I mean, I'm going to say people, but in this case, jinns, but I think people can also behave that way. You have the truth right before your eyes. So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> so you're super sick, 
and the doctor says, do not eat this. If you eat this, you're going to be in even worse shape. And you know you're going to be in worse shape. You know if you eat this, you're going to be miserable, but you can't resist. And that's what happens. You know, this is a totally, totally getting off topic. So there's, you know how like uh, Daisy's do bobblehead, huh? Take it, right? So there's one Daisy uncle who, who gets into a horribly bad car accident, like every single bone is is broken and the paramedics completely brace him and then they tell him, okay. Okay, whatever you do, do not move. Do you understand? Yes. All right, okay, anyway. Other questions about anything, anything at all? No other questions? Yes, Leith. Are you like typing it or do you want to say it? Okay. Let's see here. There are some descriptions of hell or the day of judgment where it's mentioned that a lot of humans went to hell. Does it uh, mean he made his point? Oh, does it mean he was successful? Perhaps. Uh, so, so he said he's going to be waiting on the straight path. And the way that's understood is he doesn't care about the people who are not on the straight path. And, and according to narrations, out of every thousand people, how many are going to go to hell? Now think back again when we did the chart. Good deed intended, good deed done, you get 10 to 700 times the reward. Good deed intended, not done, you still get rewarded. Bad deed intended, not done, you get a good reward. Bad deed intended, done, and then you will uh, get one-time uh, punishment. So we're saying even with those odds in your favor, uh, out of every 1,999 people are going to go to hell, which is frightening. Okay, let's see. Uh, is it not the case that Iblis could be claiming a high road that he refused to bow to anyone but Allah? He could have, but he didn't. Right? He could have said, the command is not for me, I'm just a jinn. He could have said, I only prostrate to you, Allah. And, uh, but he didn't. I mean, there are some poetic interpretations of this that speak all about, you know, sympathy for the devil, in, in which he is saying, I love you so much, Ya Allah, uh, I will be your villain. Right? You know, what is that line in the dark night? He's the villain. He's the hero we want, but not the one we need, or the other way around. Um, so, there are sympath sympathetic uh, views like that, but the fact of the matter is he's our enemy, whether it's out of love for Allah or out of, out of hatred. For me, everyone, there were interpretations that his jealousy of Allah was out of possessive love for Allah, so that's similar to what we were talking about. Um, I thought there was another question out there that I've missed. Any other questions? Leif, you said yes, but oh, there is curious curiosity. In the opinion that suggested at least is actually an angel, are the angels suggested to have choice? So <clears throat> when we get into some minor, minor, minor opinions, it seems to be, and so this is minor, minor opinion, that the jinns are like an offshoot of the angels. Uh, not quite like children, but think of mitosis or something like that, uh, where they're basically uh, separated that way. And so there seems to be, in some minority readings, some connection between chits and angels. Uh, and thus, it could be that Iblis is a fallen angel. Minority, minority opinion. Uh, but uh, not anywhere close to the orthodox opinion. Any other questions about anything at all? 
So out of a thousand, uh, Sadia, how many are going to hell? 999. And may Allah protect us from being any one of those uh, people. Okay. Uh, I also think in the same narration, the prophet, peace be upon him, and I'm paraphrasing the language, said the highest percentage of people going to paradise will be from the Ummah of Muhammad, peace be upon him. I mean, if you read Surah Al-Waqiyah, it speaks about three groups of people. The people on the left who are going to hell, the people on the right who are going to heaven, and the foremost of the foremost, which are like the elite paradise people. And of the foremost of the foremost, it says many for the past and a few for the future. And then of, of, uh, of the other two groups, um, it's not as categorical. Okay. Uh, if there are, could you please uh, share the reference to this number? I will have to look for it. It's going to be a while since I've uh, found it. So, yeah, since I've seen it. So, you have to give me time on that one, inshallah. Okay. Uh, unless other questions come, we will stop right here and continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wa akhirat da'wana an alhamdulillah bi rabbil alameen. May Allah tell the word you all with the best. And I will see you inshallah to... Tomorrow, 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 we'll start the day tomorrow.